0: Have you ever wondered how to combine art and activism? Would you like to approach your creative career as an entrepreneur? Making money from art is one of the top barriers that inhibits people from fully unleashing creatively. Luckily, today's guest has incredible tips on how to not only make work that helps change the world, but also on how to make a great living doing it. Welcome to Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. I'm Lauren LaGrasso. I'm an award-winning podcast host and producer, singer-songwriter, public speaker, actor and creative coach and this show is meant to give you tools to claim the word creative take fear out of the driver's seat and love yourself enough to pursue whatever it is that's on your heart on the show we explore the creative process and journey mental health self-development spirituality and everything it means to be a human and become more human And before we get going, I just want to let you know that Unleash Your Inner Creative is actually up for a People's Choice Podcast Award, and you can vote for it to help it get nominated. So go to podcastawards.com and click the little blue thing that says, do you want to vote? And then just enroll, vote. It's super simple. It takes like under five minutes. And your support means the world, as always. And let me know how I can support you. Now let's get to it. Today's guest is somebody whose goal is to inspire climate action with, get this, watercolors. Her name is Nicole Kellner, and in just about a year of pursuing climate art, that's art that teaches about climate change, she's gained a huge following, makes her whole living from art, has been recognized by publications such as The Verge, Canary Media, and Yes Magazine, and has even caught the eye of President Barack Obama, who now follows her work on Twitter. Nicole is truly a person who has unleashed her inner creative. She started out her career working at a startup and an education, then transitioned into working for a climate organization and finally found her way back to her childhood passion of art, somehow combining all of her previous experiences into one beautifully artistically fulfilling hybrid. The fact that she makes her living painting watercolors all while helping build awareness about how we can make the earth a better place proves that there is no limit to what you can do creatively. I mean, literally the art that made her build up the most that went viral was a painting of whale poop. So there is no limit to what you can do. If you want to learn how to make a living from your passion, transition your career, combine creativity and activism, think like an entrepreneur, and even learn how to sell prints, merch, and build an online store, then this episode is for you. Now, here she is the talented Nicole Kellner. Nicole, I'm so excited to have you on the show. We met through our mutual friend, Dolma, and you are an incredible artist who even Barack Obama co-signs. So welcome to Unleash Your Inner Creative. (laughs) Thank you for
1: having me here. I'm so excited, Lauren.
0: I'm so excited, too. And I know this is your first podcast, so don't worry. We're going to take care of you. You're in (laughs) loving arms here. The Unleash Creative community is like the kindest community on the internet. So I wanted to start out, we talk a lot about the inner child on the show. And I mean, I think that like art is one of the most beautiful ways to get in in touch with your inner child. But I'm wondering, what was your early relationship with art like? like? Did you want to pursue it when you were younger? Was it a thing of pure joy? Tell me about how you started on this journey of art.
1: Yeah. So I grew up loving art. I took art every year from my earliest years up till high school. I was in AP art, which is not, you know, the normal AP to opt for. I just didn't yes. remember, like I was in AP bio for like a week and I was like, no, I want to switch to AP art. <laughs> and, and now you can
0: bind them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I grew up always loving it. Like I think in eighth grade, I won the superlative for most artistic, which somehow has come full circle. And It brought me a lot of joy growing up. I did at one point think I wanted to go to art school. I think very briefly inspired by Lena from Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants going to RISD. I feel like there was some childhood dream of falling in her footsteps. (laughs) But the practical version of my high school self was like, okay, I want to go to non-art school, like get a more practical degree. And so that's what I ended up doing.
0: And so you said you went and studied something more practical. What was that?
1: Yeah. So the first two years of college, I studied elementary education. And then I started my first business when I was in my freshman dorm room, which was a handbag brand. Um, I basically like taught myself how to sew, ripped up all these purses, made a purse that you could use um, your phone through, like with a plastic pocket. And that was called smart purse. And I like got really hooked on entrepreneurship at like 18 and was like, okay, like maybe I want to do something that's a little more broad than just teaching, but I had already taken two years straight of education credit. So I was like, okay, what can I do to graduate as quickly as possible? And it turns out advertising was the answer at my school. It had the least credits. And so I switched to that. It was in the School of Communications. And I got a minor in engineering entrepreneurship. I loved my minor. I, like, met so many wonderful people and fell in love with the entrepreneurship community. And I didn't love my major, but it let me graduate on time. So... (laughs)
0: Yeah, and it's just interesting how you're kind of now with what you're doing with climate art, utilizing all of those different things. You are teaching through the climate art. You are advertising yourself as a business owner, and you're an entrepreneur. Yeah, And so it's just like with your track in particular, I find it so fascinating how while you maybe didn't want to do every single thing that you had to do along the journey, it all led you to a very specific point to now, which is perfect but you didn't at first do art. The first thing, as far as I understand that you went into was teaching kids how to code. How did you know how to code? First of all, I
1: didn't (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, I, I knew like some basic HTML at the time, but when I was in undergrad, I was involved in the entrepreneurship community. I was the vice president of the entrepreneurship club and the president was like my really close friend and he was starting an after-school program to teach kids how to code and i was like uh was moving to new york at the time and my best friend had been moving to new york at the time and basically it was like the perfect circumstance where i was planning to just help him out with this new idea him and his co-founder had to launch an after-school program to teach kids how to code and i wasn't planning on being a co-founder i was just there for a few (laughs) months then it became like something I couldn't even imagine. It was so wonderful. I started an all-girls coding program within it. I started a summer camp and, you know, became a co-founder after a few months there and was our head of operations, or COO, and learned how to code by teaching kids how to code, basically
0: wow are you a genius (laughs) because you're just someone as I'm learning your story who has such a penchant for not only learning but learning quickly and then teaching do you have any advice for people on how to learn quickly like what is it within you
1: I think the skill set that I learned from co-founding that after school program really set me up for success because When we were teaching kids how to code, we were really focused on instilling a growth mindset and grit and really teaching kids how to learn themselves without us needing to be there to teach them. We used the Socratic method and Mm. like the way that my co-founders taught me was using the Socratic method. So we were always asking questions to our students rather than lecturing. So I think I personally learned a lot about how to learn from that process. Um, And it's just like evolved over the years as well.
0: So I'm not a hundred percent sure about what the Socratic method is, but what I'm gathering from what you're saying is you ask the students questions and then they end up teaching themselves. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So how do you utilize that in what you're doing now?
1: I really try to present a lot of information without necessarily like being the be all end all person with advice. I don't like to be the lecturer or the like, this is the right information for you to believe. I'm like. Here are facts in a pretty way that you can come to your own conclusions about rather than being like, you need to do this to feel that way. Um, and I think that really evokes different emotions within people to make to make their own conclusions. Um, and it sticks with them better as well.
0: So true, because and we're going to get back to your journey, but just to take a little side angle. Um <laughs> I feel like a lot of times with anything that people are passionate about and involved in activism with, it can be very shaming. Mm -hmm. And shame repels people who are already of an opposite belief. It doesn't invite them in. And what I think is so beautiful about what you do is that you're inviting people into the information. Like there's some things that I've read on your page just in following you and in preparing for this interview that I wasn't that conscious of. And instead of you being like, you're a bad girl, if you haven't been doing this, (laughs) you're like, did you know that blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, Oh my God, I didn't know. So I think it's so much more inclusive and it's something that I really promote on the show. I I call it social justice S O U L C I A L. Mm. And I think that instead of being like, you have to do this, You said, what if you do this? Did you know this information existed? Mm -hmm. Could I share this with you? You invite somebody in versus pushing them down. And it's so much more effective. And I love that that was part of your foundation that you've kind of naturally put into play into what you're doing now.
1: And I also try to... Ask questions in my posts to kind of like crowdsource information rather than like me always having the answer. So it was like, what other solutions do you know of relating to this topic to get a conversation going, to help me learn more? I love questions. (laughs) Yeah, no,
0: it's so powerful. So to go back to your journey, you were part of this company, you helped build it up, and you were a vital part of the sale of the company. So, how did that sale come about? What did that look like? And do you you have any advice for anyone who's looking to grow and sell a company someday?
1: Yeah. So I actually left the company the year before it sold. I had been there for about three years and then decided to solo travel for a year and then almost a year. And then I moved to Venice Beach, LA and found out that my other co-founder was approached to um, have our company be bought and was that... Process was happening and I was like getting updates and was like supportive in that process. And then we got, uh, we sold in 2019 and they asked me to come back on to help lead marketing and expansion of new locations and it was pretty hard to say no to uh, something we had always dreamed of being able to open new locations around the country. And so I joined again, The I left because I wanted to pursue climate. And I was like, I don't really know how to do that. But I then rejoined because it was also something that I cared really deeply about still. So I stayed on to help see through that transition and was really grateful that I did. I learned so much during that time. It's the company that acquired us um, was a private tutoring organization and they were about 75 people. And at the time, I had never worked for anyone other than myself, really. So it was great to learn from a larger team and get great mentorship and um, help open those other locations. And I stayed on for about eight months. And then I was like, okay, climate time. I got to make it happen. <laughs> CT,
0: baby. <laughs> and then did you have a plan when you went to travel? Was it like you just literally took a year off from working and did the damn thing?
1: Yeah, I went from Europe. uh, Europe and Southeast Asia was like most of the trip. I intentionally didn't plan. My kind of like philosophy was like, if I know one person in the place, I'll go. (laughs) And that often meant like I first was in Lisbon and I made a friend there who was going to Malta and I like met her in Malta, like that kind of thing where it's like, I was in Vietnam and like my friends that I had made in Vietnam were going to Malaysia. I met up with them in Malaysia. Like it was like making really wonderful travel friends and like maybe continuing to be travel friends and things like just travel had always been a big part of my life and wanted to spend some time kind of like, away from New York and figuring out what my next steps would be.
0: You know, I'm really curious about this because I'm about to take a two-week trip to Europe. I've never taken two weeks off in my entire life. Like, Ah! I just (laughs) haven't done it. Like, I've been afraid to take time off from, like, everything. Usually when I take time off work, I'm taking time off to do more work. Yeah. So I'm super excited, and I'm curious how you think that time traveling impacted your next creative move? Like during that time, did you really get clarity on what you wanted to do next?
1: Yeah. So I, the first place I went was Portugal and I went to like, this wasn't the intention, but I was, I was going to visit friends and, um, there happened to be, um, a zero waste farm that I found like two hours away from Lisbon and they were doing a retreat. I can't remember the name of this woman, but she's like, has a famous TED talk around like circular economy. Her name's Layla.
0: What's circular economy?
1: It's basically the idea that right now our economy is like linear. So it's like everything that we create is like usually going to waste. Like it's being put in trash. Um, And a circular economy is like the idea that It's like cradle to cradle versus cradle to grave. Mm. There's like a book called cradle to cradle. Um, So it's like the idea that whatever you use can be like recycled, reborn, like reused into something that like has a new life. So like rent the runway is like my new favorite example right now, where it's like you're buying a subscription to clothes. You're not like buying clothes. So they're Mm. like always being um, reused.
0: That's really cool. So you you had that happen there. And was there anything else that kind of sparked you to say, oh, this is my thing?
1: I really got hooked on the idea of circular economy at the time. I was like, oh my God, this is like such an amazing concept. I met someone at that retreat who runs the company I Fix It, um, which is like helping people fix their technology. And like when you break your computer or your phone, it's like a website with tutorials on how you can fix it. So I was like, this is my thing, like. E-waste, circular economy, climate change, like, oh fun, (laughs) like I'm starting to get little sparks of like how I could maybe fit into this. And then throughout my travels, I would visit zero waste stores all around the world and document them. So if you scroll rail back on my Instagram, they're still there. It's Like me taking photos of carrots and like <laughs> farm stands in Malta, like just random zero waste beauty products. That was kind of like my own little documentation journey when I was traveling. That was definitely some like inklings of what would come.
0: I love that. So let's talk about how you got into what you do now, which is climate art art activism. How did you transition into this?
1: Well, funny, we should talk about traveling. My first and only watercolor class that I've ever taken was in Malaysia. I took a two-hour watercolor class in Malaysia that was like it was effective it was effective (laughs) it really did its job (laughs) it was like a paint by numbers watercolor class and I was like I like this and I like had a watercolor kit and I'm pretty sure I've like had the same kit like since then and this was like four years ago so that was like the very beginning of my watercoloring
0: how did you transition into doing climate art
1: so I had been obviously like very interested in working in climate this was like years in the making me like self-educating, trying to figure out like, how someone with my background would be useful in this like massive industry I was feeling very overwhelmed like didn't quite have the answers but I found out about a podcast called my climate journey and it had a correlating slack group at the time it had about 500 members and I joined it and I was like oh my god these are the smartest people I've ever met they all care about climate I like am such a noob I don't know how I can be useful here but like I must <laughs> And so I got really involved in that community this was in January 2020 I joined that community and was like super involved and like basically started like helping facilitate little internal panels about different climate change topics so I would like crowdsource topics people wanted to hear a panel on find people in the community that would speak to it and then like crowdsource questions and then facilitate conversations because I'm like I don't know what these things are, but I can facilitate a conversation. And so that was kind of like my first foray into like even holding a conversation about climate. And I actually met my first boss through that. He was on a panel. His name's Joel Armin Hoyland and he runs a company called Climate Finance Solutions. They are like a consulting firm that helps climate companies secure non-dilutive funding like grant funding. And so I became his first high- Hire and um, I was working part-time for him. It was like an amazing opportunity. He has so much experience in the space. He was a fantastic mentor. And so I kind of like, got my foot in the door into climate officially and then from there I started working full time for Dashboard Earth which is an app to help incentivize people to take climate action and worked for them since last August I was doing operations but in like around New Year's I was like I feel like I want to do something a little more creative like I've been in operations pretty much my whole career but I like don't fit in normal boxes (laughs) when I apply (laughs) to jobs I'm like I don't know like I kind of know community. I definitely know operations. I can do design, but like I don't want to be like normal designer. So I was like, I've never gotten a job in a normal life. Basically, like I don't.
0: I think that's wonderful. (laughs) You've gotten jobs from being very passionate about people and what you love. And I think that's so cool. I mean, it's a great example of if you just follow your nose, sometimes the food will land in front of it.
1: Yeah. So in January, I live in New York and it was Omicron and there was 40,000 cases a day. And it was winter and I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do to get through winter? I'm not going to see my friends for potentially months. Like, ah, okay. I'm going to paint a watercolor a day for a hundred days. And so on the 10th day, I did one that was about kelp and carbon sequestration. And I posted it on Twitter and I'm like, I hadn't been a Twitter person. I like was a Twitter lurker. I like have been on Twitter and like have been watching it for years and like truly never posted. And I was like, I'll start posting these is here, I guess. And that tweet got like 150 likes, which was like more likes on Twitter than I had ever gotten in my whole Twitter lifetime. And I was like, okay, I guess climate <laughs> Twitter is a thing. Like I'll do more of these. And so for the rest of the hundred days, I only did art that was focused around climate change. It started really taking off. I have done, I think like the next piece that really got a lot of attention was around a famous piece that Ed Hawkins, a climate scientist, has created that represents global temperature change that is in the background actually it's yeah the progression of temperature change from this one's from 1850 to 2018 so it goes from blue to red and that's like known as like warming stripes or climate stripes and I painted this and made it into a twitter header and a bunch of people started using it as their twitter headers and their linkedin headers and it got like 500 likes and 200 retweets and I was like oh Oh my God, what is happening? <laughs> then I had like one other big one that was about whales and carbon sequestration. And it's about how whale poop is really important for sequestering carbon in like a, you s- distill it into one sentence. <laughs> And that one got like 850 likes and 400 reteats. And I was like, oh, my God, this is so cool.
0: Who knew whale poop could be so popular?
1: People love poop. I mean, we're all kids. <laughs> like our, you said, our inner child is very real.
0: <laughs> it's true. It's true. You're firing on all fronts there. OK, so at what point in this progression does President Barack Obama follow you?
1: So I didn't notice. That's the most important thing to notice. And I also wasn't following him. <laughs> was, what? Oh
0: my gosh, what a move So he looked at your profile Sad that it wasn't a follow back situation and still chose to press follow. You got to hand it to President Barack Obama.
1: One of my friends somehow realized this and sent me a screenshot and she goes, did you know Obama follows you on Twitter? And I'm like, there's no way when she says me that. I'm like, she's messing with me. And then I'm like at the wing, like where I was co-working at the time. And I'm with my friend and I like look at my Twitter and I see Obama's following me. And I just like freeze. I like truly couldn't process that information. (laughs) And I'm like, I know it's not him. I know it's a social media person, but it's someone very close to his White House or was once White House situation.
0: It could be him though. Like you never know. I mean, I've I've never worked with a president, but I've worked with a lot of celebrities or notable people and oftentimes they are at least having a hand in their own social account. Tell me this, when you post something, do you ever think, "Oh my god, Barack Obama's going to see this?" I have
1: like checked sometimes. I'm like, "Does Obama still follow me? What if it was like for his follow backs or something I'm like" <laughs> I think he's good there. I'm like too scared to check
0: sometimes. I'm like, I can't lose this. This is everything to me. So, I mean, things were going really well. Now, I think it's just like a really interesting example, too, that you started like being consistent about it. You started following what felt right. You were combining these different passions and then things just started happening. I don't know. I mean, were you still working your other job when this started out? Yeah. So when did it go full time into the art?
1: So I finished my 100 days. By then end, I was a mess. Oh, my God. It was so much work to produce at that level of quality for that long for context I don't remember what date it was I think it might have been like a month before the hundred days ended but the Ukraine war hit and I was just like I don't have creative feelings right now. And I like took a step back and I started like doing more like doodling and I was just like not posting as publicly for a little bit. And yeah, that was kind of like a little bit of a slowdown point for me. And then I like, you know, by the end was still like posting very consistently. But up until that day, I was posting like really high quality pieces every day, even when I was on vacation with my parents in Florida for like three weeks. And so it was like a really, exciting way of kicking off this journey. And I left my job at the end of April. I started getting commissions almost like immediately, like after starting, like I a month in, I was like getting requests for commissions and I never publicly have ever said that I take commissions. It's people sliding into my DMs, like VCs and startups and nonprofits and government organizations sliding into my DMs is how I now live. But so basically like I was getting requests for commissions I started a print shop I started a merch shop all of that added up to like one month of living for my like next month of life and I was like okay like this seems like a calculated enough risk I already have like saved for the next month like in theory like if I could keep this momentum going like could that be my life like could I be an artist I never thought my life title would be artist and for the first like month I was like I'm an accidental artist like that was like truly how I introduced myself or like, I'm kind of an artist, like real imposter syndrome. And I like definitely still have it, but like moving through it actively.
0: Yeah. I mean, it is amazing because you very, very, very rarely hear these stories. You know, it's most of the time the person struggles for like 10 years and then kind of finds their place. But I think you've stumbled upon something pretty powerful because you're basically like doing what the niche has done for TikTok, but within art. So you made an art niche. You know, you're going to be able to like transcend out of this. If you decide one day you don't want to just do watercolor and you maybe already have, you don't want to just do um, watercolors for climate change. I'm sure there's something else that people just have fallen in love with your style that you could do custom pieces for that or you could start just selling prints with pretty watercolors on it or you could choose another thing to be passionate about. I thought the most interesting thing you said to me was, oh no, When I started doing art, I knew this was going to be a business. I'd sold a business before I'd built a business, so I was not going to be a starving artist. I was going to make a business out of this. And that's the exact opposite mindset that most people I talk to have. They say, oh, God, like I love making my art, but I just don't know how to make money from it. So obviously, you did have the benefit of people coming to you for private commissions, but what else would you say that you did to help yourself look at it like a business? Tactically, what did you do? And kind of like spiritually, mentally, emotionally, what did you do to look at this as a business versus just something you're doing to, you know, pursue your heart? It's both, but like, how did you look at it like a business?
1: Yeah. I think I just have that lens on life. My dad's an entrepreneur. Like I started my first business when I was 18. Like I started my second business when I was right out of college. I've also run like a Slack group, about mental health for women, like since I was 20, 19, like I just like have had an entrepreneurial spirit for so long that it's just, when I see something that people are engaging with that much, I was like immediately like, oh, like this is something that maybe I could support myself with. If at the minimum, like it could be like something like that would open more possibilities in my life, potentially financially. And so I think there was like the, obviously the first things that were very clear to me were like selling my prints like I was like okay like I definitely need a print shop now like people like my art on Twitter like they'll they like my art like quite physically like I need to have like a way to convert that for them to be able to purchase it in a way that would bring them joy I'm in like an interesting place where I work in climate and in sustainability so everything that I do I also need to look through in a lens of how is this going to be like okay for the environment because I don't want to make extra waste and so I for example on my print shop one of the options is metal prints and it's like my favorite thing to print on this is metal and all of the pieces that I'm printing for myself for an upcoming art show I'm doing are on metal because aluminum is infinitely recyclable and while it's a bit more expensive it has that environmental impact that it's not going to go in landfill and so things like that then I launched a merch shop because someone was like could I have that on a t-shirt? and I was like okay yeah so I figured out how to do that and I use a print-on-demand supplier so that I don't have any waste of like extra surplus products that I'm just like I live in a studio so first of all I'm not trying to be like a manufacturing supply shop like I don't have room for that and I chose to go the print-on-demand route which means like every time someone places an order on my website it's created just for them at their size and that design specifically so that a they have manufacturing shops all over the country so it's shipped as locally as possible I also choose to use as many products like all my t-shirts are organic cotton because cotton doesn't create as many microfibers and is more like environmentally friendly any organic materials versus like polyester which is functionally plastic and so like I keep all that in mind I like on some level on my print shop and my merch shop want to just have like on the top be like if you don't need this don't buy it but I'm like
0: (laughs) it's like not great for like (laughs) conversions also so it's like this little People need shirts and people need art. You know, like I was just saying the other day, my condo that I just bought, it's starting to fill out. Like I've slowly been furnishing it, but the walls are barren. And so even though I'm getting nice stuff, it still looks empty. It doesn't look like a home. Yeah. So people need art. It's one of the joys of life, but you are doing it in the most sustainable way possible and the most thoughtful way possible and hopefully inspiring other artists too, to, you know, do it from a similar point of view. Yeah. For any artists who are listening right now who are interested in making prints, like what was the process like of figuring out how to get prints made? And specifically those metal ones, because I haven't seen any other artists who do metal prints.
1: I use a supplier called Darkroom. It's called darkroom.tech you literally upload your art and they do everything else. Like it creates a website automatically. They collect all the like money and like collect the person's like shipping address and information. I don't even get their emails or their actual mailing address. So I'm like annoyed I don't get their emails. I would like to be able to email them directly if I need to. But for privacy reasons, they choose not to. They're like working on a way around that. But I also respect that. So I think it's like just interesting because like with Shopify when I do my other merch I can use their emails because it's being checked out directly through my website and I have like an opt-in to email form but there's no way for the print shop I found it out by a photographer that I really like on Instagram I had ordered prints from him in the past and it was through darkroom and I was like okay I had already ordered like a print from him I have it in my apartment framed I like it I like don't even need to like add any extra time like needing to test all these other websites like I trust this website and I had messaged him and I was and asked him a few other questions like if he's happy with it what other ones he's tried and he's like yeah I tried a bunch this is like the best one I can find and I had done my own research too and it seems like it's the best one that is good for print on demand.
0: Okay, so this is maybe a very simple question, but what is it about climate change that drives you more than any other thing you could be a advocate for? Like, why climate change?
1: It's connected to everything. I mean, like, it touches every part of our lives and like our future generations. I have worked with kids like a large portion of my life and like, you know, the kids that are growing up right now are going to be impacted by it tremendously. And I just feel like both a personal level, like I want to make sure that the life that they're going to be living in is an okay one at minimum Uh, and we need to like take dramatic action to make sure that's the case and the more I learn the more real it becomes and I just like couldn't ignore it I started all this because I was like one year I started a blog for fun that was like a minimalism blog Um, I was like each month I'm gonna create a minimalism challenge for myself and one month I was like I'm gonna live zero waste for a month in New York and it was like so so hard. I was like, Oh my God. Like it took me like four hours to cook beans from scratch. Like this can't be like how people live. Like from the point of like having to go buy beans whole from like a, you know, farmer's market or like a specific shop that like has like them in bulk to like actually cooking them to them, like cooking a meal that I could use beans. Like, it's just like the simplest things that we take for granted. And I was like, I just want the world that we're in right now is clearly not, not even close to like being able to live zero waste. And I want to like move us towards that in whatever way possible. And at that month, I decided that I want to find a way and devote the rest of my life to figuring out how I individually can be the most impactful. And that's a question I'm always asking myself.
0: What's your advice for somebody who wants to combine art and activism or creativity and activism? Cause obviously climate change is your thing for me right now. What I'm feeling most is Roe versus Wade and, fighting for female reproductive care and abortion rights. Like I know there's people out there who are passionate about all forms of different parts of activism. How do you do it? Like, I know that you you kind of stumbled upon it, but like what advice would you have for someone who's going in that endeavor?
1: So I'm actually so glad you asked this question because just before this, I was working on an application to be a TED fellow and I'm like typing it out and like something else like came across my path. And I found this quote basically that's from Tony Cade Bambara that's basically it says the role of the artist is to make the revolution irresistible. And And I think it relates to exactly what you're talking about with Roe v. Wade right now. I think it's the same thing I feel with climate change that we as artists, can use. these visuals to bring anything to life and for me I like to help people envision the future we want to see rather than scare them and I think that I only try to paint climate solutions I really like try to minimize like eco fear and eco anxiety because we have plenty of that already and so to be able to communicate different information that will help inspire people to understand more about different ways we can solve climate change and make an impact is the way that I try to approach it.
0: I love that. So be solution oriented too because that is a huge thing. I think that's a reason why a lot of people stay away from more serious, and I'm putting that in quotes, topics. Because if you can't do it with some sort of, there's hope, then what's the point of any of us fighting? If all it's going to be is darkness and drudgery the whole time, which there is a lot of that, as you said, why would we engage with it? But when you can say, hey, here's what's going on and here's what we can do about it, people feel a flicker in their heart and they want to join you Mm -hmm. and they want to see more. I love so much of your approach.
1: Yeah, and I think about it as hiding this like very scary like intense topic in something playful so that it's like oh you see something shiny and pretty and colorful like here's like something you just want to look at and then you're like actually looking at it and you're like oh wow I just learned something very real and like that combo I find like way more effective than just like doom 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 and so I really have always been fascinated by like the idea of play and I think I love bringing play into my art in a way that does inspire climate action.
0: I just realized we haven't described what your art is actually like. So can you give an example of it? We know it's watercolors. It's got something to do with a climate issue that you're passionate about but can you give an example of something specifically one that you do with like the words and like the graphics? I think those would be a good example.
1: Yeah. So I use watercolors to help visualize climate change solutions and like use watercolors to do like data visualizations of all different kinds of like climate topics. So I have one that's like, uh, hanging on my wall. It's like the, how loud is a windmill? And it'll be like the windmill is like the Y axis and then the like X axis accesses how loud it is. And then at different points, it'll be like as loud as a refrigerator or as loud as a fan and like all these different, like simple things that are relatable. I'm just like looking at my apartment right now. (laughs) I'm like, my apartment is my like. (laughs) It's your gallery. I have one that's like about an induction stove, which is like an alternative to a gas stove. And it like breaks down like what's inside that. And it's like an electric version of stove, which is way better for not only the air that you breathe because there's a lot of chemicals that are being emitted when you use a gas stove but it's also like electric (laughs) and like that's way better i have one that's about the resin identification codes that are on the bottom of anything that's like recyclable and i use quotes because those codes are actually really misleading when you think of like the icon that's on the bottom of your plastic container and it looks like what we think of as the recycling code that doesn't necessarily mean it's like totally recyclable. And there's a number level one through nine and they correlate with the level of recyclability. And it's basically like, mass plastic messing with us and like manipulating us to think that like everything's recyclable because it has that on it but you really have to look at that number to know where it goes in your recycling bin like what the chances are if it's actually that recyclable um like I was saying aluminum is a number five and like that can be recycled like a lot more
0: should we be recycling aluminum foil
1: Aluminum foil is not as easy to recycle because likely it's covered with food already. Mm. And that makes things a lot harder to recycle.
0: Okay. So how do you come up with these ideas? Do you have like a notebook where you're keeping ideas all the time? You know, do you sketch it out and then paint over it? How does this work? I have a massive
1: Trello board at this point. That's like broken down into a lot of different categories, like nature-based solution, energy, water specifically. Cause I love water, anything. I'm like just Doma jokes that I'm a mermaid. I'm just like obsessed with swimming <laughs> and being by the beach and water. So anything like water focused, I always prioritize. And so I have like tons Tons of graphs, tons of like information. It might just be like, I have a category that's just called sun. And like, there's that. I have in my Twitter bio and my Instagram bio, DM me what to paint. And, like, I just get people from all over the place, like, messaging me, like, random graphs now. And it's, like, crowdsourcing things that they want to see. And that's been really fun because I get to learn and I get to choose, like, maybe there's one or two in there that are, like, actually things I do want to paint. And I get to start conversations with really cool people who are passionate about climate change and art. I mean, it started with me doing all my own research and being, like, okay, what feels like something I want to paint today? What would be useful for someone to learn? What would Twitter be interested in so there's like a is whole Twitter process. your main outlet? Yeah, I wow have like five thousand followers on Twitter and like a thousand on Instagram. Like Twitter likes me way more.
0: That's so interesting. And have you tried TikTok at all?
1: I just started using TikTok and I'm doing like time lapses of me painting. I mean, we'll see. <laughs> is how yeah. I feel. TikTok's
0: a different beast. I know. I know Dolma's obsessed with it. I find it very difficult. Yeah, but that's so interesting. I, I love the idea of crowdsourcing ideas Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know like saying hey tell me what to paint next because so many of us are like oh why didn't they like what I did it's like you could literally ask them you know I've been thinking about that because I'm also a songwriter for my next single being like here's two songs which one do you think I should put out you know why not or tell me what to write about because that's a great thing about being creative and being an artist you can always make a new thing yeah Okay, I want to go through some of the things that you've learned from doing this climate art. So, what would you say is the most fascinating thing you've learned from your climate art journey?
1: I saw you looked at my monarchs in decline one before this, and I think that's probably one of the most insane thing I've learned. Yeah. Monarch butterflies are just so they've declined in population. I think it's like 90% or something like 99% in the past, like 50 years. And I don't know. It's just like, I grew up seeing a lot of monarchs and I definitely don't now. And I like would not have noticed that had I not researched monarchs a lot.
0: Yeah. I raised them when I was little. Did you ever do that? You like grow them? Yeah. And then I was like, should we all just grow them again? like I will be a monarch mother I am willing to put in the work and we could like plant a bunch of milkweed we could make this happen like we could bring them back
1: yes wait I'm so down for this it's like I can't (laughs) handle a dog I could
0: handle a monarch butterfly (laughs) we could start a monarch butterfly mother's club
1: oh my god yes please I'm all in
0: (laughs) no that was honestly I'll be honest with you Nicole probably one of the most disturbing things that I saw on your page I know we saw them all the time when you were little and you're exactly right because I just didn't even notice. That's unfortunate because
1: that is one of my like Debbie Downer ones, but
0: yes. No, but it's important because it's still pretty. I know. It's still pretty to look at.
1: I was very proud of that one because that you can't see it at all in like the statistic version of this for people who are listening and not on my Instagram at this very second. It's basically on the left side. It has a hundred tiny little butterflies and it says 1950 or whatever. And then it has today and it's a single butterfly. So it's like a very like visual, but stark image of like the decline in the past. However long but I painted that butterfly, and it's one of my favorite things I've ever painted. So that just like made me really happy. Oh, that could segue into like from this journey. One of the biggest things I've learned is like I am like currently working on a piece for a client that's about a Tesla. And I drew a Tesla in the first month, and it was like the hardest thing I had drawn at the time. Car proportions are like a weird thing. Like I am not a car person. I did not grow up drawing cars. It's like a whole culture. I am so far from. I hate driving. I really struggled and I like posted it because I was like, I need a thing today, but I'm not stoked about how this turned out. And it like looks really long and awkward and you like really can't tell it's a Tesla even. And then for this client, like it's a different concept and I'm redrawing a Tesla again. And the difference in my drawing ability since in the past like six months is just so incredible. I sent it to a friend and she was like, I thought this was a digital rendering. (gasps) I like got so happy. I was like, oh my God, this is like so cool that I'm getting like paid to get better at art. I haven't been in touch with my artistic abilities since high school because I was in college at my school. They wouldn't let us take art classes unless you were an art major. So it just feels really nurturing to be able to like be doing art on such a regular basis and be like getting better consistently and see that before and after. So that was a very real growth moment for me.
0: I love it. It's proof that practice works like if you actually work at something you will get better it's impossible not to and that is that's a beautiful best learning so you maybe would be one of the best people I've ever had on the show because you actually unleashed your inner creative she was lying dormant you know for years you know kind of like coming out at certain times she took the watercolor class in Malaysia. What has changed in your life, like on an emotional and spiritual level since you've gone in this direction?
1: So much. I don't think I was meant to work in nine to five. This was the first job I worked in nine to five, my most recent full-time job. And it was not working for me. I wasn't going outside for any period of time during the day. I would make sure I would go for a walk in the morning and then I was inside till dark or whatever. And I just like, really don't love that. And needing to, have a set schedule of like when I'm having calls and like that rigidity didn't feel great. And just like, wasn't working for my mental health. I was really struggling. I just don't want to have a boss. <laughs> like ever. I don't ever again, hopefully. Um, I really love having clients and like being able to work with a lot of people who are really smart and really passionate about art and climate and like to be able to have the conversations I'm having there with people who I was like trying to interview with I wanted to like be on a team with them and like to be able to collaborate with them in this way is something I would have never imagined and I feel so grateful it just feels like I really am living my most authentic life right now I just feel like a lot of things that I've learned have like clicked into place for me to feel fulfilled we were talking about at the beginning I studied elementary ed I then taught like computer science which is like taking complex ideas and breaking them down for like even children to understand I care about climate change I care about art it's like I'm doing the things I'm like getting to live my best life (laughs) and it's like I've been through some stuff I'm just like so proud of myself for being where I am today for me like art is like one of my strongest like coping skills and like very therapeutic to me and like you know we're in a pandemic I've had my own personal journey and like to be paid to have art therapy Personally, every day, like that is very special, and I don't take that for granted.
0: I love that, Nicole. Oh my gosh. I'm so proud of you. I don't even know you that well, but I'm just so (laughs) proud of and inspired by you. And I guess I'd love to end it with this if there's somebody who's listening who has a call in their heart, maybe it is to go more toward activism, maybe it's to do something creative, maybe it's to leave their nine to five, but they find themselves paralyzed with fear and what ifs. What advice would you give to them about taking the leap? Time for Diet Coke, babe. Yes, yes, yes. Da 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 da. I really need that. Love what you love. Diet Coke. Get runway ready. A chance to win the ultimate shopping experience plus hundreds of prizes curated by Kate Moss. From packs in store, 18 plus T's and C's, visit code.co.uk slash break.
1: Amount of logic that would allow me to take that creative leap. So like for me, I was like, okay, like let me run the numbers. What amount of money do I need for a month to be able to support myself? Once I reached that point that like I made that amount in commissions for a month, I felt comfortable taking that leap to then try being an artist. And for me, I was like, okay, I can always go back and get a normal job. I'm like, worst case scenario, I'm like a qualified human being. I am capable of getting a job, (laughs) but I owe it to myself to try this creative pursuit. And I think for whoever's listening, like figuring out that balance of like what feels like a logical leap.
0: Well, you took the most logical leap ever and you're doing great. <laughs> and I'm so happy you unleashed because you're teaching us all and welcoming us all into climate change in such a beautiful way and helping be a part of the solution. And everybody go check out Nicole. She's at Mindful Nicole, right?
1: At Mindful Nicole on Instagram and at Nicole Kellner on Twitter.
0: Okay. Yeah. Go find her. Obama did. If you want to be like Obama. Find Nicole. All right. Thanks, Lauren. Thanks, Nicole. Thank you for listening. And thanks to my guest, Nicole Kellner. For more info on Nicole, follow her at Mindful Nicole on Instagram, at Nicole Kellner on Twitter, and check her out on YouTube at Nicole Kellner. Thanks to Rachel Fulton for editing this episode of Unleash Your Inner Creative. You can follow her at Rach E. Fulton. Thanks to Liz full for the show's theme music. Follow her at Liz full And again, Thank you. If you like what you heard today, remember to rate, review, and follow the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Share the show with a friend and post about it on social media. Tag me at Lauren LaGrasso and at Unleash Your Inner Creative and be sure to tag the guest at Mindful Nicole so that she can share too. My wish for you this week is you ask yourself what you would do if you weren't afraid of failing and then see if there could be a path to get there. If Nicole can make her living painting watercolors about whale poop, then what else could be possible? There are no limits to creativity. So I say you go for it. I love you and I believe in you talk with you next week